I am Tim Thetford, one of the associate pastors here. Um, Our passage today is in uh, Hebrews 2, so you can go ahead and flip there. It's going to be verses 14 and 15, page 1002, if you're using the, the Pew Bible in front of you. And I love to teach and preach God's Word, and so when Rick asked me, uh, if I'd be part of the Advent series, I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. And I found out that we were doing this theme that hope came, which I thought was really cool. Um, I get a passage out of Hebrews, which is my favorite book out of the Bible. Um, but I got to tell you, as I was preparing this week, as I was studying, as I was um, creating the sermon, I tried to go a lot of different ways, but it just kept coming back to this. Today, we're going to be talking about death. And today, we're going to be talking about the devil. So Merry Christmas, right? (laughs) This is our Advent series. And really, if you think about it, the first Advent, the coming of Christ was shrouded in death. The fear of death was a reality for any parent in Bethlehem. It was the astronomers, the magi from the east, who alerted Herod that, that there was a king to be born. And Herod, out of fear, reacted in violence, right? He murdered all the male children, all these babies that were threatening his throne. You know, and it's no wonder um, non-Christians think that belief in the devil is crazy. When you think about all the pop pop culture references, uh, if you're like me growing up uh, watching cartoons, right, the things that we learn are, Um, that when we're making moral decisions, what really happens is a little devil and a little angel pop up on your shoulders, and that's how how we make decisions, right? Or if you're a fan of of the far side, Gary Larson's comic strip, that that devil was always having a, a tough time ruling over hell, right? And so this red skinned with horns and barbed tail, uh, for most the devil is make-believe. He's a mischievous, but ultimately harmless little troublemaker. And so if you're not a Christian believing in a real, actual devil, it's going to seem a little crazy. But Scripture makes it known that there isn't a devil or a demon inside us, that Satan may tempt or cause us pain or torment, but that we are really morally responsible to make decisions for good or for evil. We know that Satan isn't in charge of hell, but that he and his demons will be cast into hell for eternity, along with all who are guilty before a holy God. And that's everyone. That's why we're in need of rescue. And Christ alone is capable of not only saving us from our sin, but making us righteous. And Satan is not just some rascally gremlin, but is a fallen angel that has authority over the demons. And Peter says this about him. He says, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so even when we cast aside all the mythology, all the misconceptions of the devil, some may still think it's irrational to believe that Satan is real. C.S. Lewis makes the case for the reasonableness of the existence of the devil in mere Christianity. And he says that because evil exists, its existence demonstrates that not only is there an objective standard of good, but that evil is a perversion of that good. Because evil is an act, it isn't just a force or a power, 
but that action requires a decision of intelligence and free will. These are attributes of an agent, a personal being. I've condensed Lewis's argument from pages down to just a few sentences, and I haven't done it justice. But nevertheless, the existence of, an, of the devil can be reasoned to, even outside of the claims of Christianity. All right, hopefully you're in Hebrews 2. We'll be reading verses 14 and 15. Read along with me. Uh, I'll be reading out of the NSB. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The Advent message today is that the Christian should have hope for today in the truth that Jesus' is coming destroyed the powers of darkness, which are Satan, sin, and death. Let me pray. Lord, we, we long for heaven. We long for a time and a place when there is uh, no sin, no sadness, or sickness, or evil acts, Lord, shootings, and sex trafficking, and um, brokenness, God, broken families, broken relationships. Uh, you have destroyed the devil. You have crushed his head. You've broken his dominion, and so that gives us hope, not only for tomorrow, but for today, that we would live lives that reflect the reality of your truth, God. Um, as we go to your word today, change our hearts. We love you and praise you. Amen. All right, let's take a look at our verse, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, so children here refers to the children of God. As believing Christians, we're adopted children. We are flesh and blood. We are human. It continues, he himself likewise also partook of the same. And this means that Jesus became human. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are eternal spirit persons. And then for the first time in history, God becomes man. Jesus became incarnate in the flesh. Jesus forever takes on another nature, and through his birth, he has a dual nature of both God and man. Our passage continues, that through death, Jesus became human for several reasons, but here it states that Jesus takes on human nature so that he can die. God can't die, so he becomes a man for the purpose of dying. His death and resurrection are not an afterthought. Easter is the reason for Christmas. It says that he might render powerless. The ESV translate this phrase as destroy. And both are right in the sense that it, in the Greek it means to make useless, inactive, inoperative, having no further efficiency, depriving of force, influence, or power. You get the picture. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Satan has the power over death, Scripture tells us. Now, why is that? And I'll answer that in a minute. But notice that Jesus has deprived Satan of that power through his death. Jesus has taken the power the devil had, and he broke it. He destroys his influence, making that power useless. And what's the result? Back into our passage. And it might free, which doesn't mean that it might or it might not, 
but only that through His destroying of the works of darkness can we be free. Those who through fear of death, and so those who are enslaved are so because they fear death. Finally, we're subject to slavery all their lives. We were once enslaved, and now we are set free. All right, stay in Hebrews, put your finger there, and turn back in Col- to Colossians. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. All right, Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him. And so those who are believers, who are followers of Christ, who have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them, they are in Christ. We were dead, but now we've been made alive. Having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And so we're forgiven of our sins, the things we did and thought that were opposed to God, that were in rebellion. And how did that happen? It says, and he, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so Jesus, though sinless, became a sin offering. He became a sin offering on our behalf, that when nailed to the cross, we were made right with God. It says, when He had disarmed. Again, He destroys the devil's weapon, breaking it, making it useless against us. It says the rulers and authorities, this is the devil and his hordes, or at least the, they are behind or inherent in these, these um, unjust rulers. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And so Jesus makes it worse even for Satan. Satan is shamed. He is no longer bold, but he is humiliated. That's not the only reason Christ came, but if you were going to a baby shower for Mary it would be totally appropriate to get this onesie for him. Baby Jesus, destroyer of Satan, sin, and death. And I think they actually have these at Bye Bye Baby. You can can pick one up on your way home. Can Can we all agree that that is the worst name for a baby store? Bye Bye Baby, right? It's like where you take your, I don't know, okay. I digress. The Christian should have hope for today in the truth that Jesus' coming destroyed the powers of darkness, Satan, sin, and death. By the way, these powers of darkness are so intertwined that that as I tried to separate them for discussion, I found that each was ultimately connected to the other. Satan has power when he accuses us, and we believe his lies. The last part of of Revelation 12.10 says, Uh, He accuses them before our God day and night. This is speaking of of Satan. So Satan is standing before God, and he is accusing all. He is the accuser. He's standing there with this huge binder of all your sins, and he's rightly saying that the legal demands, the wages of sin is death. And he's not saddened by the law. And he's not just doing this for the religious. There's a fascination in our culture with the devil. 
is a symbol of rebellion or this party lifestyle in some circles of music and art. He's this symbol of sexual uh, freedom for others. And I hear people say often, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in hell and party with the devil. But here's the thing. He accuses all. Satan and his demons oppose not only God and his people, but all people, even his own, because his kingdom is a kingdom without loyalty. It's only slavery and tyranny and torture and betrayal. For those made alive in Christ, it says, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Amen? When we trust Christ and are united to him, the weapon that Satan has, the binder of our sins, Jesus knocks it out of his hands. He leaves him empty-handed. Through Christ's death, Satan was robbed of his power to frighten and to intimidate and to control people through the death, through the threat of death and the eternal separation from God. So Satan has power when we believe his lies. And these are lies that put us in odds with or in, a, or in direct rebellion to God. He sabotages both truth and love if he can conform us into his image. He counterfeits all that God does, hoping to gain the worship of the world and encourage opposition to God's kingdom. Not only is Satan our accuser, but a liar. Even in taking on the role of the accuser, he is a liar. He lies that he is the one to be feared, the controller of our future. Satan may hold our sins before us, accusing us before God, but it is ultimately God who judges. It is God who is sovereign over death and over our destinies. And Satan is an empty suit. He holds no real authority. He and his demons, they're going to be cast into hell for all eternity as well. Satan says that we can't trust God, that there's something better, but God is the source of all that is good and true and beautiful. The devil masquerades as an angel of light, and ultimately he's the source behind every false cult and world religion. Out of one side of his mouth, he says that our sin condemns, and there is no hope that hell is inevitable. Might as well enjoy the ride. Out of the other side, he says that everyone will be in he heaven because we're basically good. And this leads many down a path of destruction that is unbelief and that is living for self. The truth is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and there is no other name by which we must be saved. When lies about his power fail, he then lies about his presence. In the 1995 movie, The Usual Suspects, Roger Kent says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. John Lennon's double platinum anthem went like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And there's many that have bought into this lie. The reality is that if we trust Jesus, he actually had a lot to say about the reality of Satan and hell and heaven. We were bombarded with lies, but Jesus says, I am the truth 
I'm the way and the life. It is in Him that we have hope. And so think about this. What are the lies that we tend to believe? Is it in regard to our being made in God's image? Is it regarding our adoption, our forgiveness of sins, our call to pursue holiness? Do we, le- do we believe lies about God's sovereignty? And how do these lies affect our hope, our ability to be used by God in serving, in sharing the gospel, in bearing with one another, loving others, being united with other believers. Because the work of Christ from his advent, we are no longer under sin's power. Romans 6, 14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And our accuser has been disarmed because of the gospel. When we do sin, we no longer need to hide in shame, but instead we can run to God. We can confess This is not what the devil wants us to do. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he says, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Because of Advent, The new Adam, the new king, the new master has come. And under him, we are given a new nature that is no longer enslaved, but that can fight against sin. We are then called to no longer be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. That we can change, that we can pursue holiness. John Piper says, The work of the devil is to tempt people to sin. When they sin, his work is accomplished. So what the Son of God came to destroy is not just the guilt. It's coming. Thanks, Tom. The guilt of sin, which might enable us to stay like we are and go right on sinning into heaven, but actually sinning. The Son of God came to destroy sinning. Colossians 1.13 says, uh, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. As Christians, we are called to walk in the light. The fact that we can do that demonstrates that we have experienced deliverance from the power of sin. And so the book series uh, called The Series of Unfortunate Events, uh, in it, the Baudelaire children are sent to live with their Aunt Josephine. Uh, I think we have a picture of her house there. She is, a smart, she is smart and kind, but lives in fear of just about everything in and around her house. She was afraid of doormats. They, would, they could cause someone to trip and break their neck or decapitate their head. She was afraid of doorknobs. They may shatter into a million pieces, and one may hit you in the eye. She was afraid of refrigerators. They could fall over at any time and crush you flat. She was afraid of uh, sofas for the same reason. I don't know how her sofas work. 
Um, she was afraid that stoves might burst into flames and that telephones put you at the risk of e electrocution. She was afraid of the lacrimose leeches, if you've read the, the books, which, which actually was the, the most reasonable of her fears. After all, the leeches had killed her husband. She had, a, she had told him he must wait one hour before going into the water, but he only waited 45 minutes. She lived in a death trap of a house, barely clinging to the side of the cliff, above the lake where her husband died, eating cold soup and afraid to answer the phone because the thing that she was most afraid of was realtors. What are we afraid of with regard to death? Is it the unknown? If we're honest, is it pain? We're afraid of the loss of control and ultimately leaving others or being left behind. Fear paralyzes us, makes us do stupid things, makes us doubt and be irrational, makes us ignore, ignore and pull away from difficult situations. It makes us, even as Christians, look for hope in the things of this world. Through Christ's coming and death, he nullified, he canceled, he made powerless the evil one who has the power of death, and that Satan stands ready to usher us through the gates of hell by damning us with a record of our debts. And I've demonstrated why that isn't the reality for the children of God. Our reality is heaven. Death comes because of sin. But Jesus said, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 1 Corinthians 2 says the things that God has in store for us are beyond anything we can even imagine. John's revelation of heaven describes uh, a time and a place when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And so because of Advent, Jesus became man so that he would experience pain, so that he would be tempted in a more powerful way than any of us ever will, that he would taste death. We don't have to fear the unknown because Jesus has already experienced it, and he has given us what we need to know to not lose hope in trying times. He will not only see us through, but is in preparation of us being with him forever. This isn't to say that death isn't painful for those left behind. The pain of death and loss can be used by Satan to further exploit for his purposes. He wants it to harm us, to turn us from God, creating bitterness so that we remain broken, so that we're unforgiving, that we ultimately are provoked to, be, to use evil and sin against evil and sin, provoking us to, be, um, to use this against God and against others. Satan would like nothing more than for sin to create more sin and more evil as it continues to grow. Many who struggle with Christmas struggle because of some type of death or loss 
or loneliness. And these are the results of sin in our world. But don't grieve like the world does, Christians. We've been given the truth of reality. That, because Jesus has died and rose again, so will those that are His. We have a true perspective on death. Death is not to be feared, and death is not to be embraced. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that as Christians we should embrace death. We don't celebrate death. Paul longed to be with Christ, but he knew there was work to be done. Death is never described in Scripture as wonderful or desirable or glorious. It is the evil that results from sin and something that will one day be done away with forever. Like all evil, we as believers are to resist and we're to fight against it. And this includes sin and unbelief and poverty and disease and hate and oppression and broken human institutions. As little Christ, we are to be destroyers of Satan's sin and death as well. We do that by abiding in Christ and declaring that in Christ there is life that is abundant. There is life that is eternal. There is life beyond death, a resurrection of our bodies that will be whole, that will be healthy. We have hope that when Jesus returns, He will make all things new. And that hope that hope is the fuel to fight, to resist the powers of darkness by pushing back against the moral and situational evil brought about by Satan in our own lives and the lives of others. And as evangelicals, we recoil against this, this, this preaching of fire and brimstone that, that we would scare someone into a relationship with God. Neither do we want someone to believe as, as some type of fire insurance. But here's the reality. The devil is stronger than you by yourself. And the devil is your father unless you have been adopted by the father. And you are destined for hell without Christ. And we are without hope if we are not in Christ. Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Are we living our lives as if we fear death? Or do we live our lives as if we are alive in Christ? 1 John 4, 4 says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. And so death and sin no longer have the last say. Through the Holy Spirit, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. He became human to die, so that could happen. And hope came, and that's why we say Merry Christmas. Pray with me. Jesus, you've uh, won the war. Use us as, as you continue to win battles. God, let us have that perspective. We long for peace and rest and freedom from sin and the temptation of sin. But until then, God, let us live lives that reflect this truth. That you are in us and we are in you. That, that you are greater. You are more powerful. You have broken Satan's dominion. God, let it change our hearts, how we see sin and death. 
God, we love you. We thank you and praise you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.